Welcome to the neighborhood. My name is Michael Lacey, husband, father, and host of the Wealthy Neighbor Show, where every week we bring you an amazing interview or message to inspire you as you build wealth for your family. Thanks for stopping by the neighborhood. Now let's jump right in with today's message. Do you think it's possible for the average couple in America to build wealth while they're raising kids? I only ask that question because a few years ago, people would often try to discredit my wife and I's financial accomplishments by telling me that we were only able to make such progress because we didn't have kids at the time. Now, I knew deep down that wasn't the case, and so I never let it get to me. But now I'm even more convinced that you can actively build wealth while raising your kids because this year we've saved and invested more than we ever have while also trending towards paying off our house in only eight years. And believe it or not, I'm actually not an anomaly. Today's guest is Liz Carroll. Liz and her husband, Dan, raised two kids while absolutely crushing it with real estate in the Pacific Northwest. Over the course of their marriage, they built enough wealth to be able to retire in their early 50s. And not only that, but they've also been able to pay for college for both of their kids in full. I love that, especially considering how many folks in my generation are graduating with just mountains of student loan debt. And because it's one of our goals to pay for our daughter's college in full. So I'm definitely excited to have you in the neighborhood today, Liz. I mean, you and Dan have accomplished so many incredible things during your marriage. And so I want to go back to the beginning. I want to know how did you guys manage money early on in your relationship? I would say poorly. We managed money poorly. Actually, Dan was pretty good at it. I was using credit card and this was, we met each other in 1988. So this is a long time ago. This is probably even pre-Michael Lacey time. I had run up a thousand dollars on credit card debt and uh, Dan had done a house hack. So he had bought a brand new house and had, it was a four bedroom house, three bath, and he had three of the uh, bedrooms rented out to friends of his. And so he wasn't paying any rent for his own rent. And so when we became an item like official, we were engaged, then Dan paid off my $1,000 credit card debt. So it didn't start out great as a, as a couple because it, I came in as the spender. Uh, however, that quickly turned. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, okay. So Dan was always kind of the, the money manager and you were kind mm -hmm. of a little more reckless on that side. So yep. when was it that you started to kind of get serious about money and who did Dan kind of initiate those conversations with you? Or was that just from reading and research? How did that start? Well, I think Dan created uh, some of the conversations <laughs> for sure, <laughs> initiated them. And he was, you know, it was, I can remember one time it, Dan said something to me that I was like, oh my gosh, this is not going to happen in my marriage. He said, he who makes the gold makes the rules. And I just said, okay, that is not going to work for me then because so... Now we were young and we were, uh, that was a challenging time, right? <laughs> the yeah, starting yeah. out in our marriage. But I quickly, a couple things happened there. One, I took over managing the money because I felt like, all right, I need to understand where this money's going because we were both making money, but not a lot. And we had bought our first rental home 90 days after we were married. I was still 22 when we bought our first rental home. So things were really lean. And I think what happened is I wanted to buy a pair of shoes. Dan said, you cannot buy these shoes. And I was 
I had a fit. And then finally I said, I'm taking over the money. And that is when I started getting serious about understanding money. And then we made a real change and got a lot of focus um, around money once uh, we had built this big house on 10 acres and Dan lost his job. Then we needed to figure out our budget and get serious about it. And that's when we got, we found Dave Ramsey. I know for me, like I went through a situation where early in our marriage, I lost my job. And this was around the time, like right in the middle of our debt-free journey. It took us 16 months. This was month 10. I lost my job. And I just remember kind of feeling panicked on one hand because we've still got all this debt, but also kind of feeling relieved because we had done the hard work of like getting on a budget and living below our means up to that point. And so what was going on with you guys around that time? Well, you know, we never had a lot of consumer debt. That was never something that we did. And we were wheeling and dealing on, you know, we'd sell a rent, buy a rental, fix it up, then sell the rental, or we bought some forest land, improved it, then sold that. Or one time I had to pay a contractor when we were building the house. I literally sold my car so that we could pay the contractor. So we didn't go into debt necessarily other than real estate. So we were just very thin. We were, it was all happening, but it was very thin. Thin. And that was where when Dan lost his job, uh, we were still able to maintain, but it was there wasn't that much room at all. And we couldn't do that for long. I mean, we knew it wasn't going to work. We were having arguments and I had a friend at work say, hey, I read this book called Financial Peace. You ought to read it. And I read it. And then I said, Dan, I think you need to read this. And it worked out beautifully for us because we were instantly on the same page. And and part of it was that before we were married, uh, we went to a program called Engaged Encounter. And so we had already mapped out a lot of the goals for our marriage, not necessarily the money so much, but, you know, the, how many kids do you want to have? Is someone going to stay home? Is There was lots of things that were discovered during that, that weekend retreat. And then once we sat down and really talked about the finances, we, we got serious about it and wrote out a 20-year plan, which I know most people do five, maybe three, five, 10 years. We did a 20-year plan. You guys write out this 20-year plan. Now, one thing, I kind of want to fast forward a little bit because you recently retired and Dan's been retired. And so was that part of the plan that you guys set out when you when you were writing this was to have kind of a deadline of like, okay, we want to have at least the option to stop working at a certain point? It's exactly what we did, Michael. At that time, our youngest was two. And we went, okay, well, 20 years from now, she will be graduating college and we want the option to stop working at that time. So we knew that paying for college was number one goal for us and that we would make sure that that happened for both of our children. But we knew also that, you know, there's another part in here too, is that right before I met Dan, Dan had cancer and he is a cancer survivor. And he he very much was like, you know what, I'm going to work and I'm here for my family. I'm doing all this, but I want to have fun too, because I've already faced early death, you know, and he was like, I'm going to, I'm doing what I need to do for my family, but I'm also going to make sure that I have space in my calendar and in my life for myself. I really like that because that that's become more important to me now that I've become a father. Like when, and it was just the two of us and we were married, it was all about, okay, let's save, let's be aggressive, let's do this. And now that we have a daughter, it's kind of made me slow down and go, wait, let's kind of you know, if it takes me two years longer or a year longer to get where I want to go, but we create all these awesome memories in the process, it'll be so worth it. And so how did you guys manage that? 
aspect of it? Because that's something that me personally, like I'm still trying to figure out that balance. What what was that for you guys? Yeah, we were not gazelle intense by any means. Um, we What we did know, though, is that we needed to live below our means. And we needed to try to live on one income. That was how we figured it out that it would work, is if we lived on one income and banked the other one or put it towards investments. So that's that's how we we tried to figure it out. And I would say, you know, we were yellow pad budgeters. We There weren't budgeting apps back then. You know, at least I didn't know about them if there were. We just sat down with the yellow pad and said, okay, how does this feel? And what is this like? And and we got kind of sucked in because we had built this 4,600 square foot house on 10 acres with a 360 degree view. It was crazy fun house to build and, and to own. But then you get sucked into, oh, your kids need to go to private school. And then you need to have this kind of lawn service. And then you've got to furnish that whole house. And it just felt like we were under a lot of pressure. And then we decided to make the decision to sell the house. And that was that's when we got super serious. Like, all right, we are going to have to make a change. We thought we had built that house for grandkids. And I remember distinctly, it was March 9th, 2000. And we were sitting at lunch together. And we just looked at each other and said this is not going to continue working for us. We've got to make a big change. And so then we moved. We actually sold the house and um, moved uh, to Portland at that time. So how difficult was that? Because, I mean, you said that you guys built this house for like grandkids. I mean, obviously you're a visionary, right? So you mapped out your life and you and this is a part of that. And then you get along the journey and go, wait a minute, we've got a course correct. How challenging was that? Well, it's a little bit of a blow to the ego, I will tell you, you know, but it was also exciting. And we just went, we could do this. We could totally make this plan work. And because of that uh, move, not only did we accelerate our plan, but we, we complete, you know, we completed it early, but it all seemed to click together. I literally put the word out the next week that we were thinking about listing our house and we never even listed it. I I just had mentioned it at a a sorority alumni meeting and within two hours we had calls and a full price offer. It was a great location. But um, so we, we then said, all right, that was faster than what we thought. We didn't anticipate that. We better go find where we're going to move. And then, of course, at that time, Dan was back working. There was lots going on. And we qualified for, you know, a large mortgage at that time. And we just said, no, no, no. We are practicing constraint. So we mapped out three schools within the best school district. And then we just started looking at homes within walking distance of those schools because our children had been in private school. And we went ahead and decided that with the move, we would take the kids out of private school. You know, I'm I'm glad you brought up kids at that point because I kind of want to transition a little bit. Obviously, the fire movement's really popular right now, and a lot of those people are dual income, no kids. And but you guys managed to retire earlier than the norm after raising two kids, and not only that, but you put them through college. How did kids change your finances? <laughs> well, kids are expensive. Let's just let's just put that out there. They are, and particularly if you've got kids that are um, social. And, and you brought up a good point too. I think I should clarify. Dan retired. He was fifty-one just after his fiftieth birthday. I retired at fifty-two. We had our kids young, so that was probably one of the greatest things for us is that we we married young and we had kids young and we were broke together. So 
our kids didn't grow up with expectations that nice restaurants, those kinds of things, we weren't, that just wasn't part of our, our raising them. So we didn't have so much of that keep up with the, the Joneses with the kids so much, I would say. So one of the things that we did with our children is that we limited activities. So because the activities become so expensive in our coaching business, now we do financial coaching, that tends to be one of the areas where people are so willing to go into debt for their children, they're not willing to save for their education or build wealth so that the child's not having to take care of the parent in retirement. Right. And that, you know, I'm glad you brought that up too, because that's another thing that I deal with as a new parent myself is just thinking through the future and like, man, you know, okay, are we going to put her in softball? Are we going to put her in speech club? You know, like all these different things that she could do, but it's like, how do you balance the activities with saving for college? Well, we just knew that we had to put so much away for the college savings account. And I will say, though, we did have some help from our parents. You know, both of our parents paid for our own education. So we felt it was really important that we continue that tradition and paid for our children. So not everyone has that same desire, but we did. And then we did have some assistance from our parents also, because education was obviously important to them. So uh, we just made sure that we were putting enough away for the savings, but also then saying, do do you like it or do you love it? Because if you like fencing, you know, but you love ballet, then we're going to spend the time at ballet. We're not going to go to fencing and chess club. And I mean, there's a part of it that creates some craziness in the family also to not be able to have that family dinner. So there was things that were deal breakers for us and that helped us practice constraint. One number one deal breaker is that we were always going to have family dinner. And that was something that came out of that engaged encounter weekend that when we were just laying out the plans and the goals for our marriage, we knew we wanted to have family dinner. So if the kids wanted an activity, it had to happen before six o'clock at night. So we weren't out running around with the kids after six o'clock. And so there were things that limited because of those parameters, it kind of limited all the things that they could do. I'm sure that's a lot simpler to manage when your kids are like seven and eight. But, you know, did you get any kind of pushback when they got older, middle school, high school? I can just imagine some of those conversations. Oh, my gosh. I You could talk to our kids right now. I'm sure they're going to be true. (laughs) Tons of counseling all over. But, um, you know, here's the thing, though. I think our kids know now they yeah, there were times. I mean, our son wrote out this whole post-it note about I'm never going to do these things for my children. (laughs) You know, it's like. And I was the kind of mom that framed it in a silver Tiffany frame and put it back in his room. Like, okay, this is, love it. Go ahead and do it differently. I mean, we were raising our kids a little differently than our parents had raised us. But I think one of the best parts were is that, yes, we got the pushback. Yes, we got the frustration. But Dan and I stayed a united front is that these are the goals of our our family. Now the kids look back and go, thank God goodness, mom and dad, we are so appreciative that number one, we did save for for their college. So they were able to attend um, school without debt. Our son did do a little bit of a victory lap uh, fifth year. And so he had to pay for part of that himself. But they're really grateful that they didn't come out of school with um, the student debt. And then also that they know that we're fine. We are good. And we in no way are going to be any kind of burden to our children. 
We'll be back with more from Liz after this quick message from one of our sponsors. Did you know less than 5% of the people who buy life insurance get the right coverage? Life insurance is something we all need to think about, but it's also something we don't get excited to shop around for. And I get it. Figuring out how much you need, when to get it, and what you need it for has usually been difficult and complicated. That is, until everyday life transformed the way life insurance is purchased. Everyday Life is a new online insurance concierge created by fintech experts who got frustrated buying their insurance and took action. Here's how it works. Fill out their free, easy, anonymous questionnaire in under three minutes, and you'll get advice and pricing for your personalized coverage plan that will automatically adjust as your needs change. With more coverage now when your family needs it most and less down the road when you won't need as much, Everyday Life can save you money both now and in the future. Check out Everyday Life for your free, personalized plan at elifelabs.com slash winning to wealth. That's elifelabs.com slash winning to wealth. Okay, I have a two-part question about the college thing. Number one, how did you guys determine how much you needed to set aside for college? And then two, where did that rank on your list of financial priorities? Because you're focused on building wealth for early retirement and you've got this real estate business. So like, where did that rank in the hierarchy? And then how did you know how much to set aside? Well, here's, we did do a little bit of juggling towards the end. Uh, We knew that we probably needed about $100,000 per child because we had done a survey of the in-state colleges. And Dan and I were part of the Dave Ramsey philosophy is, yes, in-state college, four years. And so that's where we went down that road. That's how we set the number. It was about $22,000 a year for in-state college. And so we added a little buffer in there that if they wanted to do the fraternity sorority or... uh, Now, we did not pay any of their spending money. So we didn't give them any spending money. We just paid room, board, tuition. And then we also paid any dues that they had through their activities. So that's how we came up the number. Surveyed the schools and said, let's add a little bit more for inflation and times four. So that's how we did it. And we gave them each a $100,000 budget. And that was like a number one priority for us, I would say, because when we talked about, you know, wealth building and real estate and the, because we've always had this side hustle in real estate to help us get to our goal. But educating the kids was first. I mean, we, we had children. We knew that we were, that was a goal for us to make sure that they were educated as well. And so, you know, during that time, as you're raising your kids, how were you actively teaching them about money and managing money? And why was that important to you? So we we talked about money a lot as a family. And when I say we probably talked about it too much, I mean that there were times when we would say, no, we're not going to do that. And here's why. Or Dan and I were both in sales. So if there was fabulous commission that came in that was above what we had, were planning on, we could say, guess what? We're going to go on a vacation and here's how. Or we also did something really fun with the kids um, as they were growing up. Back at the Financial Peace book, he talked about blow money. Uh, Dave Ramsey mentions blow money. And now he, he kind of calls it just fun money or spending money or things like that. But back in the day when... Dan and I would have a great sale. We would come home and say, guess what? 
everyone gets some below money right now. So the kids outside of any kind of commission that they were making on their household chores uh, would get an extra little boost. So maybe it was $40 for them. If it was a fantastic sale, maybe $100 of blow money. And we would say, you can spend it however you like, but here's some ideas we have for you. You know, why don't you save 10% of that? And why don't you give 10% of that? And then you can spend the rest. And they were really good about it. Um, Our kids are fantastic with their money now and they're um, 24 and 26. You said something interesting in that answer. You said commission for household chores. Yeah. What does that look like? <laughs> well, they had to do certain jobs around the house, whether it was empty the dishwasher or take out the trash, whatever the jobs were. And then they would get commission for uh, doing their work. So we're not a just handout allowance kind of family. And uh, so anyway, that's how that's how they did it is they would have to we had all kinds of chore charts. And I'm not saying that we were fantastic at all of them by any means, because motivating your kids to do household chores is a challenge for every parent. But they both understood money and they both understood wanting to have money to spend. So jumping into the real estate a little bit, we've kind of glossed over that. I know that, that you know, Dan was kind of already involved in that world. And then you guys got married and, and you've kind of assumed that as well. Talk to me a little bit about that business. Like for you guys, um, walking into it, how do you measure, I guess, what a good deal is when you're analyzing numbers and all those sorts of things? Well, Dan gets the credit for analyzing the numbers, but now we've gotten ourselves into a situation where if we walk into a house, we can typically know within three to five minutes whether it's going to be an opportunity for us or not. And we've walked into a lot of really crummy houses because we do look for distressed homes where we can make improvement and bring value to the home and the neighborhood and our county and for the family that's going to be living there. So we specialize in single family homes and for our working class, for our county. And it's been a great project for us. We look for a 1% deal to answer that first question is if we put, if we buy a house for $160,000, we need to make sure that we're renting it for at least $1,600 a month so that that's how we figure out the 1% value on the return on our investment. So that's what we look for. Can you talk to me about kind of how many deals you guys have done in your time together? Yeah. So, okay. Well, this is kind of fun. We calculated them up the other day. We're going to be married 30 years um, in May and we have done 30 real estate transactions. So we've done one a year for our, throughout our marriage. Uh, we currently own 14 single family homes and a fourplex. Now that will change after the first of the year because uh, we just listed the fourplex last week and had multiple offers right away. So that we're going to change. And it was kind of the odd duck in our portfolio. So we're we're making a change on the fourplex and adding a few more single family homes instead. I know one of the things that you often talk about is buying your rental properties with cash instead of leveraging debt. Why is that important to you guys? Well, you know, it wasn't as important when we first started. We started out um, with owner contract financing or uh, bank loans, all kinds of different um, vehicles. However, in retirement, we need cash flow, right? So that's why it became much more important to us. We made a shift in 2014. At that time, we had we owned a 16-unit apartment complex, a, a townhouse, and a condo, and the apartment building had a mortgage on it. We had inherited a little bit of money from my parents and and put it down on the apartment complex um, 
years, 10 years earlier. Well, the apartment complex, we started thinking about it going, this doesn't really uh, puts all our eggs in one basket. You know, having this, this big building, it's not like you can sell off an apartment at a time if we wanted more money in our retirement or more cash in our retirement. Plus, we liked the idea of being completely debt free. We had bought the townhouse and the condo with cash. And so we sold the 16-unit apartment complex, pulled the money back out, and that's how we bought the fourplex for cash and another single-family home for cash. Then, because we had not been taking any money out of our real estate business over the years, it just kind—it just started growing very quickly. All that those rents build up, and Dan and I were continuing to make good money in our sales careers, and we were living on one or below one income. So we were able to bank that other income and build up and then buy the next house for cash and then buy the next house for cash. And it's just worked out really well for us is to change our strategy. And it's certainly enhanced our cash flow. So I'm sure there's a listener out there that's considering jumping into real estate investing themselves. Is there maybe a warning or a tip that you can give that person that's looking to make that jump in the near future? One, do some research on your market. Make sure you know what things are renting for. We we can very quickly walk into a house and say, this is how much rent we can get for it. And these are the improvements that we would need to make. But it didn't really work out as easily at the beginning. We were learning so much right in the beginning. Uh, the other part is um, find a mentor. Find someone who's walked uh, this the walk prior so that you can get some advice. Uh, I know that Dan meets with people regularly on the, he meets on the Bigger Pockets platform just because they're looking for someone that can give a little advice. Uh, so that's, that's what I would do. I would find a mentor is what I would suggest. And I would also go slow. Dan and I are of the age now that we've seen ups and downs. We've seen the market change so many times that I think that's the other part is that we wanted to be cautious and why we went to all cash is it's definitely more stable with any market. I mean, with any economy. So, however, we do realize if we were to look back and I want to be really clear with this is that one of the things that we kind of wish we would have done is we wish we would have leveraged more in 2012 when there were so many deals uh, available. We bought the two, um, the two units at that time, but ha- looking back now, my goodness, we wish we would have bought seven eight of them. But hindsight, you know, so that's the only thing is that, but for right now, this works out really well for us. Looking back on your journey, I mean, you've mentioned Dave Ramsey a couple of times. Are there any other books or courses or tools that you've utilized that have helped you get to the point where you are today, which is retiring in your early 50s? Yes. Uh, the Millionaire Next Door was very impactful for us, for sure. And that's helped us keep our lifestyle creep down. Don't don't get me wrong. I mean, we still love, love nice things and we like going on vacations, but we, we've always been able to scale it back a little bit and, and be what do we need? What do we want? Is it a like it or a love it? If it's a love it, then let's go for it for sure. But let's also always keep that, that regulator going, you know, like, do we really want this? Is it worth it to me to, um, this came up last night, Dan and I had this discussion. I wanted a whole house detail going on, you know, have a company come in here. And he's like, is it really worth it for you to spend that much money after taxes to have this service done? And in that situation, I'm like, yes, it is. But it's the kind of discussion that we have. Now that both of you guys have retired from your corporate careers, I know you have the real estate, but do you guys have any other plans now that you're officially retired? 
Well, we will continue our financial coaching business. So we we just have six sessions a, a week for um, clients. So it's not a lot. Uh, we have a huge garden. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we have a, a huge garden. And so Dan spends a lot of time in the garden. And we both have hobbies. I teach yoga. So we're looking forward to having more of that kind of experiences. So giving back to our community, either through volunteering at the, the youth center. Uh, we both also are uh, Dan subs at the high school and we are teaching financial courses at the high school. So it's volunteer. Nice. And the only reason I asked that question is because I, I made a post recently and I put it on Facebook and I think I may have put it on Instagram, but I asked people like, wh- what would you do if you had enough income from your investments to cover your lifestyle? And a lot of people were just like, I would go to work because I just can't sit there and do anything, nothing. <laughs> and I was like, but you don't have to just do nothing every day. So I'm glad that you shared that you guys have like hobbies and interests outside of work. And so, you know, how did you cultivate those interests outside of work to to where now that you're retired, you have these things that you can do that you're not just kind of sitting on your thumbs every day? Well, Dan and I have always had lots of hobbies. In fact, we've had, we're no shortage of hobbies over here. Um, and so Dan loves outdoors and nature, the gardening, hunting, fishing. And uh, I certainly like any kind of making, so crafting or quilting. But then also, I really like coaching. I love spending time with someone to bring them up. I particularly like working with uh working mothers. And so I actually am getting my life coach certification right now so that I can help cure overwhelm in working mothers. And I'll just do that for a few hours a week. But I think I can make a a big impact in helping other moms navigate the challenges that I did. And uh, also helping them know that it's okay to scale back. And then it's all right to ramp back up when you want to, because I certainly did once our son started driving, um, I definitely put my pedal to the metal on my career and was able to accomplish some goals that I, I kind of shocked myself actually. So, um, <laughs> so I think that's, I think that was, I want to help other women know that there's, there's seasons and it's okay. It's all okay. It all works out. And so my final question is if the newlywed version of you and Dan were listening to this right now, what would you say to them about managing money as a couple that maybe you didn't know at that at that time? Honestly, I would say create a plan. And we ended up doing that seven years into our marriage. But I would say right on the get-go, the other part that was a huge win for us is that we did go to pre-marriage counseling, not pre-marriage counseling, but the weekend retreat on Engaged Encounter. That was a huge win. So if Managing money as a couple is make a plan. And the nice thing about that, it's like putting your kid to bed at night. You know how it's like the clock says it's eight o'clock. You have to go to bed. It's not the, it's not you saying it's, you know, eight o'clock and it's time for bed. It's the clock saying it. Well, when you have a plan, it's the plan saying, no, we're not doing, we're not going on two vacations or no, we're, we're going to pass on vacation this year. It's the plan that makes the, that makes the guidelines. I want to give you the opportunity to, to talk to the listeners a little bit and let them know where they can find you if they want to be inspired by you just as much as I have. Well, thank you, Michael. You know, you inspire me also. But uh, Dan and I can be found at mindfulmoneycoaches.com or on Instagram at mindfulmoneycoaches. And we'd love to connect with you. So we like to bill ourselves as the mom and dad of the debt-free community. So it's fun. 
We love it. Well, thank you again, Liz, for sharing your story with the neighbors here today. I really appreciate you stopping by. And also, I want to give a special shout out to today's show sponsor, Everyday Life. Be sure to check them out for all of your life insurance needs. Well, as we always do, here are a few tips I picked up from Liz during this week's episode. First things first is to just always keep it balanced. I absolutely love how Dan and Liz were really goal-oriented and passionate about reaching those goals, but they also found time and space to have fun and cultivate hobbies outside of work. And now that they're retired, they spend time enjoying those hobbies that they've picked up throughout the years. So yeah, maybe they didn't retire at age 34 like some of the headlines we see today, but they have all these awesome memories with their family. And hey, retiring in your early 50s is still really impressive. So it's okay to take things slow and enjoy the journey. I mean, it is your journey after all, right? At the same time though, you do need to have some parameters to ensure you stay on the right track. This is why I loved when Liz was talking about not going broke for your kids, but instead choosing to build wealth for them. I mean, and let's be honest, kids can be expensive, but we as parents have to know that we can set boundaries and say no, or we can even ask questions like the, do you like it or do you love it one that Liz mentioned? I know that's one that's going in my back pocket. And so Liz and Dan did a great job with this. And what that did was it allowed them to save up a total of $200,000 to fully fund their kids' college education. Now, in my opinion, one of the benefits of being debt-free is feeling in full control of my career choices. I don't always have to take the job that pays the most, but instead I can take the one that's the most fulfilling or more in line with my purpose. And giving that flexibility to your kids early in their careers by paying off their college so that they don't have student loan debt is just an incredible gift. But none of this is possible without a plan. Dan and Liz created a 20-year plan and they've checked off everything on the list. Having a plan for your life, your family, and your money just makes certain life decisions easier. For example, selling that gorgeous house that they built probably wouldn't have even been on their radar had they not had the goals and a plan to reach those goals. See, the plan is what lets you know that you're moving in the wrong direction and it helped them make that decision that was best for their family in terms of selling the house. So as we get ready to close out this decade, sit down and think of where you'd like to be when we start the next decade. Then come up with a plan to get there and begin making decisions every day according to that plan. I guarantee you it'll change your life. And when you get to 2029, you'll look back on this year and just be so in awe of all the progress and all the great things you've done. Now, if you do need help creating a financial plan for your family, be sure to grab our money guide. You can find it at winningtowealth.com slash guide. That's winningtowealth.com slash guide. Finally, be sure to share this episode on social media as well. You just never know who could be in need of this type of inspiration and encouragement as they're trying to figure things out for their family. If you'd like to connect with Liz, I'll be sure to link to everything she mentioned from the book recommendation to her website, to her social media, all of that in the show notes, which you can find at winningtowealth.com slash episode seven. That is winningtowealth.com slash episode seven. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you around the neighborhood. <laughs>